You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. of language. Your discretion is advised. Okay. Just a little bit of jazz. Rock, 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 cold. What do you think? Just I like love that. it. That, that was great. Thank you. All right. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Somebody's laughing. Yeah. Anyway, welcome. 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 It's a Tuesday. Uh, here at the Nicole Sandler Show, and I got to tell you, I was, I've been looking forward to today's interview because um, my guest is somebody that I hadn't met before. And it's somebody uh, about whom I, for whom I have a lot of respect. Um, his name is Jared Yates Sexton. And, you know, I don't know him. I, I've read some of his stuff. I've read some articles. Uh, he's written a number of books. Um, th- this one, the new one that is just out today called The Midnight Kingdom is the first one that I've uh, really sat down to to read. Um, uh, but but I... I I get such a kick out of his Twitter threads. <clears throat> he will write um, very thought-provoking Twitter threads that go on for a while, but say a lot. Anyway, so when when I got the notice that this book was uh, coming out, I said, yes, I, oh, please, I would love to interview him. And so it's so funny because over the last few days, or well, not yesterday, and then today I tweeted that I was excited that, that I was going to be joined by Jared Yates Sexton. And, um, and then this morning, I think it was this morning, all the days run together, you know, um, he followed me on Twitter and then, and he retweeted the, the, the tweets that I put out promoting his appearance. And well, um, I, I, <laughs> You know, the last one I did was earlier this morning. We taped our interview, by the way, at about one o'clock at one o'clock this afternoon. It's now five. So it was a few hours ago. Um, But I tweeted something along the lines of and and hold on. I want to bring up my Twitter stream so I'm not 
paraphrasing. I want to read to you exactly how this went down because I'm I'm flattered and 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 a little bit embarrassed. Um uh, so what I, what I, hold it, now I got to find it because uh, I, I was pretty prolific on the Twitter machine today. So I, I want to get it right. Um, I wrote, okay, so I wrote, I'm honored. <clears throat> I retweeted his thing that said, today is the release of my new book, The Midnight Kingdom. This is the story of how white supremacist and evangelical lies have created an authoritarian movement that threatens to destroy democracy. But it's also the story about how we defeat him, how we defeat them. And um, so I retweeted that and wrote, I'm honored that at J.Y. Sexton is doing my show on the release date of his new book, which everyone should read. Start by listening this afternoon at 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific. And I put the link and I said, I'll give you the YouTube and other links to watch to, to um, watch and or listen. Um, uh, <laughs> um you know, uh, before the show. Well, at some point, and now I, now I can't find his, uh, all right, I'm going to go to his Twitter stream to find what he wrote. He said something. He said, um, <laughs> he said, uh, way, way too excited about this over my tweet that said, I'm honored that Jared's coming on. So I, I, I was, you know, a little embarrassed and I wrote, um, well, not really, but yeah, getting ready to talk thrilled that you're saying the things people really need to hear. And then, then I wrote again, then again, I don't get out much these days. I thought he was commenting on my tweet saying that I was a little too excited about this. Honestly, that's what I thought. Well, somebody else on Twitter responded to me and said, I think Jared was talking about him being excited that he that to do this interview with you and I, I wrote back it's like nice thought but I, I don't think he even knows who I am he just that I you know he's scheduled to do an interview with me at one o'clock and he responded and he said no he said I, I'm really really I was really excited um to do this interview he said oh my goodness I meant I was excited Hoosiers take the I out of phrases sometimes. That's my bad. So, okay. Wow. So, uh, thankfully, that came in after we taped our interview. And the interview was everything I thought it would be. The, the only problem with it is it was too short. So, but the thing is, his book is just out today. So, you know, he was booked up in doing back-to-back interviews as one does. And in fact, I found out that he was also on Tom Hartman's show today. And I said, oh, that's, well, that's good. Um, I'm sure my interview with him was longer, even though it wasn't long enough by my standards, um, because I, I tend to do longer interviews than Tom. Anyway, um, that all happened. And I'm going to share the interview with you in just a few minutes. And I think it's, it's really important um, because of what we talk about what he's talking about and I'm so glad he's talking about it because frankly um not enough people are paying attention to how dire things are to the precarious situation that we find ourselves in um in fact there's a story today uh I believe it's in what's news that um the 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 January 6th committee 
the House Select Committee investigating January 6th, left some key findings out of its final report about how social media failed to address extremism ahead of the Capitol attack. Uh, the, so uh, the Washington Post has the story today, right? So um, apparently these reporters for the Washington Post read, they got a hold of a memo. It was a 122-page memo that was circulated amongst the committee members. And those findings about the social media platforms failing to address extremism prior to the attack um, were included in that memo, but they, they left it out of the final report. They say that the platforms ignored employees' warnings about violent content, and then they bent the rules for some conservatives, especially a Twitter, which I just find, you know, isn't it ironic, don't you think, that the Twitter files, Matt Taibbi, come on, I thought Twitter had such a liberal bent. Yeah, I guess not. Anyway, <clears throat> those findings were not included in the final report because, the sources say, committee leaders were worried about offending Republicans. Seriously? Offending Republicans and starting a fight with the powerful tech companies. I did read something that said Zoe Lofgren, who represents that part of California, didn't want to, you know, uh, upset them. She denies that. But anyway, um, this happened. So the committee found this. They found this was one of their findings that social media platforms, especially Twitter, failed to address extremism ahead of the attack on the Capitol. And they left it out of the final report because they didn't want to rankle the Republicans who are coming into power, I guess. And, of course, they didn't want to upset the tech industry. So now we know, okay, uh, it's not right. It's frustrating. And this is why we can't have nice things. But this all relates to the interview today with Jared Yates Sexton. And in what I believe is a related story, there was a plot to attack elected Democratic officials in New Mexico. In fact, last night, Rachel Maddow broke the story. We're following breaking news tonight out of New Mexico, where police have just announced this evening that they've made an arrest in conjunction with their investigation of shootings into the homes and offices of a half dozen Democratic Party elected officials in the Albuquerque, New Mexico area. Uh, the man arrested tonight was the Republican nominee for a state legislative seat from Albuquerque um, in the November elections. He lost that race for the state legislature, but has since insisted publicly that he didn't lose and the election was <laughs> rigged against him. Well, of course. Albuquerque police saying tonight that he is, quote, accused of conspiring with and paying four other men to shoot at the homes of at least four Democratic elected officials. Joining us now is Congressman Jamie Raskin of mm. Maryland. He's a former member of the January 6th investigation. He's now the top Democrat on the oversight committee in the House. Uh, Congressman Raskin, it's great to see you. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you, Rachel. It's uh, great to be with you, too. I know that you're learning about this um, New Mexico arrest just as, as we are tonight. This is breaking news that we've been covering. Um, I, I have to ask if these allegations 
are proven out. Um, this, again, is a Republican candidate for office who's an election denier, who's an yep. outspoken Trump supporter. Yep. He said on, on, on social media, uh, Trump just announced for 2024, I stand with him. I never conceded my race. Now I'm researching my options. Oh, my God. Uh, if these allegations are borne out, is this the kind of radicalization, violent radicalization that you and your colleagues in the January 6th investigation were Duh. so worried about? Yes, we warned of this dangerous extremism that now has been embraced as part of the political system. Uh, we know that Donald Trump used dangerous extremists for his own purposes yep. on January 6th, but they've used him as well and have been brought into the political system. And now we're ending up with people like George Santos or Lauren Boebert or Solomon Pena in New Mexico uh, as actual Republican nominees for Congress. I mean, yep. it's an extraordinary thing. So if you have a policy of no enemies on the right, you are going to get people entering into public office and entering into political campaigns who behave in such ways. And then the no enemies on the right. This was a Donald Trump thing saying, well, if you're going to support me, I'll support you. I don't care if you're QAnon. I don't care if you're a Nazi. I don't care if you're a proud boy. If you're on our side and you support me, we'll support you. No questions asked. And this guy's Solomon Pena? What the fuck? So he hires people to go and shoot up the homes of four elected Democrats? This is what the 1-6 committee failed to include in its report. That, um, you know, a social media is where this stuff percolated. It's where it permeated. Uh, and if you're not paying attention... Well, then you're not paying attention. Um, hey, YouTube, I guess YouTube is doing something weird. Or is it only joy? All right, I don't know. Um, hopefully it's not. I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. Take a very quick, quick time out and come back on the other side and talk to Jared Yates Sexton. And I promise it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an interview I think you want to hear. Okay? Okay. You're listening to The Nicole Sandler Show on Progressive Voices and NicoleSandler.com. Okay, so uh, I've been telling you for the last few days about my, my newest toy, and I, I really love this thing. It's the Blendjet 2, so it's the second generation of this very cool little um, portable blender. So before the show, I came in, I went in the kitchen, I filled up my blend, my blend jet too with, um, uh, what did I put in here? I put some fresh blueberries. I put, um, uh, some frozen bananas, which I happen to have in the freezer because I've been obsessed with this, uh, recipe that I make called, um, nice cream. We'll talk about that another day. So there's fresh blueberries, frozen bananas, a little bit of a product called not milk. It's, it's, it's plant-based milk and some ice cubes. And that's what's in here. All right. So now I'm going to blend it up. You just easily push the button. <laughs> I hope it works. Okay. Cause the, the ice cubes, I guess are, are, um, you see, I think this is the problem. When I leave the ice cubes to sit in the blender for a while, they get harder. Right. So I, I don't think it's going to work. I, there we go. Okay. No, it goes. This little blender is really powerful. You see how it goes? So it's blending up, and each cycle runs, I think, about 20 seconds. So you let it blend. Oh, I also put chia seeds in. 
So here's the deal. You can take this thing anywhere. It's portable. So you can blend a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or a margarita at the beach. I'm going to give it another thing because I put a lot of ice in. And, and I, I like it, you know, little tiny pieces of ice. Um, it's also pretty quiet. I mean, I'm right in front of the microphone, but you can still hear me talking. So you can do it in the kitchen and not wake up the rest of the house if you make a breakfast uh, smoothie. It, uh, you charge it. It doesn't take batteries or anything. It's got a USB port. And so you just charge it. Each charge lasts for about 15 blends um, and charges fast. It comes in really cool little designs. This one is, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a marbled look. And uh, it cleans itself. So when you're done with it, you just fill it with water, put in a couple of drops of, of, of dishwasher liquid, and you hit the on button again, and, and it cleans. It's pretty cool. So um, they're available now. You can go to blendjet.com, blendjet.com. Be sure to use the promo code sent by Nicole 12 and get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Blendjet 2. It's pretty cool. All right. Who is ready? Who is ready? Yeah, it is great, right? I mean, and, and hold on. I got to have got to have my, my little taste. I'm going to drink this during the... Um, I brought a straw today. Okay. Uh, during the interview. Wow, that's really good. Maybe I put a few too many chia seeds in, but it's still really good. Mm. Okay. So now, let's not wait any longer. Um, my interview with Jared Yates Sexton. Do enjoy, because I certainly did. Here we go. All right. I am excited. Not that excited, but excited for our guest today. His name is Jared Yates Sexton, and you've probably heard it because he's been writing books. He's been opining uh, um, for a long time, and he says the things that we talk about here on this show. Um, he, he is a, a political uh, commentator, analyst, and an author, and his new book is just out today. It's called The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Is it a coming crisis or are we already in it? Well, I think we're in the middle of a crisis. Unfortunately, I think it's only going to get worse. I think we're going to watch uh, a myriad of crises that are going to come together and, and more or less form a, a, a larger crisis that uh, we're only starting to see the, uh, the beginnings of right now. Um, and that's scary. If this is only the beginning, um, where we go from here. Now, you've written about this before. In fact, your book, um, your last book, the one before this one, was American Rule, How a Nation Conquered the World But Failed Its People. Is this, is this the logical follow-up to that? How did the two work together? Well, uh, after 2016, you know, I, I, I kind of realized I had to abandon conventional wisdom, right? Because we were more or less assured that Donald Trump could never become president of the United States of America. The system was going to spit him out like so much bad food. So I had to relearn American history. And what I found almost immediately was that all of the things that I had been taught and sort of uh, indoctrinated with were lies and weaponized mythology. And now, you know, as this crisis starts to worsen, and I know you know this, it's People keep talking about Western civilization, you know, whether you're trying to pull down a statue or whether you're trying to reform things. They always say, you know, these people are trying to destroy Western civilization itself. And I was like, I kind of want to understand that. I want to know what Western civilization is and what it means. And what I discovered was that the problems we're dealing with right now are problems that have been plaguing humanity for centuries now. 
I ended up finding the same conspiracy theories that we're dealing with, the same authoritarian movements we're dealing with. They have been with us since the fall of Rome. You know, these have been with us for millennia. And so as a result, I needed to relearn the history of the modern world. And what I discovered was that we are at a crossroads now, that the world is changing, that something is about to happen that is going to take us into a new system or a new order. And it just so happens that the authoritarian right wing is advocating for a really terrible future that people need to realize is is what their plan is. Right. And uh, uh, well, we'll get through all of that. So this book really examines you go back through history and and what we learn is something that we already knew. In fact, <clears throat> I'm a music person. I, co- I came out of music radio years ago and there's a song I used to play on the radio back in the 90s. It was the Propeller Heads featuring Shirley Bassey. And I can't play the whole thing because I'll get copyright violated on YouTube. But this is the hook. They say the next big thing is here. That the revolution's near. But to me it seems quite clear. That it's all just a little bit of history repeating. It's all, are, are we just reliving it? I mean, we've seen this movie before, haven't we? Yeah, and that's the really disturbing thing about all of this is that, you know, in 2023, we're watching so many different parts of history that have recombined, you know. We're watching the oligarchs, we're watching the robber barons, we're watching uh, the economics that led to the Great Depression and eventually the rise of Nazism and fascism as world-defining powers. All of these things are there. And, And on top of that, like... We're in a period that looks a lot like the end of feudalism and the beginning of capitalism, that crossroads that I'm talking about. And one of the things that you notice if you start examining this, the same stories, the same ideas, the same people keep showing up, you know, and and, and they always try and lead us in this new direction, which is getting back to a point in time where we're not voting, you know, we, we don't have democracy, we do not have individual freedoms, it's all underneath like theocratic rule and or, you know, uh, top-down oppression. But it is, it's it's history repeating itself over and over, which is both disturbing, but also hopeful, because you can learn from history, right? We, we have examples that we can look at and that we can sort of see what things worked and what things didn't. The problem is that we have to like really discern the difference between lies and mythology and the truth. And I don't know if if the 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 tendency towards lying was ever as strong as it is now. I'm sure uh, you know, lies are as old as, as the, the planet, but we are seeing lies being accepted as fact and then people not being willing to do the work to see if what they're being told is true or not. They just believe it. They believe the bullshit spewing from Donald Trump, from Fox, who calls itself news, that I have a sounder that I made up. Fox News, we make shit up. They make shit up. They sh- they, they can't be called news on regular over-the-air television. They can do it on cable because the, the regulatory uh, mechanism doesn't exist to make them stop. But that compounds the danger of it, I think, because it's propaganda. And there is a lot of people out there who believe that they're getting news. Yeah. And that bullshit you're talking about, it's incredibly powerful because it speaks to these inherent prejudices and ideas that these people have. You know, I come from a really poor family of factory workers, miners, laborers from southern Indiana. 
And, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Indiana was under control of the KKK within the 20th century. Like this is like some really disturbing history, right? There's a lot of racial prejudices. There's a lot of these issues that are still at play there. Meanwhile, these conspiracy theories and this bullshit that's being given to them by people like Donald Trump and Fox News, both of which, by the way, are taking advantage of like a real need for explanations of why things are happening. You know, they're told that they're betrayed. It's true. They have been betrayed, right? Representative government has been bought off by the wealthy and the powerful, and they have been screwed over in the modern economy. Those things are absolutely true. But what happens is that the people who have screwed them over, and I say this all the time, Donald Trump is not the disease. He's a symptom of the disease. He um, he recognized that there was an opportunity to tell these people a story that made them feel you know, something as opposed to what the actual truth was. He said, you know, you've been betrayed, which was true. But instead of saying people like me have betrayed you, instead of saying the wealthy have betrayed you, it's people of color, right? It's liberal traders. It's people on the outside who are trying to, you know, manipulate things. These stories are throughout history. And what they always do is they take the responsibility off of the people who have benefited from these things and they put it on their political enemies, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a coincidence. If you look at who is involved in these conspiracies, it's people of color, it's women, it's gay people, it's everybody except for white, wealthy men. The same ones, by the way, who fund everything from Trumpism to January 6th to the Brazilian coup, the Ottawa truckers protest. All Mm -hmm. of these anti-democratic energies are being forwarded by the same people who are forwarding these conspiracy theories that make people say, hey, don't look at us. Look at these people over here who are your enemies. Well, it seems like there's a few things at work here. One is the disinformation, right? They're they're blatantly portraying falsehoods as fact to make you think something different. It's what Donald Trump said, you know, I love the poorly educated. Well, we have an education crisis in this country and people are now, I, I live in Florida, so this is a whole other can of worms, but they're not allowed to talk, to teach actual history. They want to massage it and make it less offensive that uh, we we have this idiot ron DeSantis as governor who has his um you know you don't say woke act nonsense and he's impacting the curriculum in our public schools so that kids aren't being taught what actually happened there's your poorly educated for you um and then there's this rise of uh, Christian nationalism. Um, how how important is that to the rise of an authoritarian kind of government? This this reliance on uh, on on Christianity as the religion. Well, first of all, with the education part, one of the things you find whenever these authoritarian movements come out, the first people they go after are the educators. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do that is because they intimidate them, they go after them, and then they turn them into schools of indoctrination. And by the way, that's been the case through the centuries, whether it's Nazism, fascism, but also in the United States prior to the Civil War, the first people they went after were educators, right, in order to lay the foundation. The Christian nationalist part is really, really important because Christianity since Rome has been used to legitimize oppression. And it works like this. There's the apocalyptic mindset, which is if we don't get our way, it's the end of the world, right? It is a supernatural circumstance. You and your family are going to die, right? (laughs) Unless you you accept like anti-democratic actions and violence. But also there's this idea of what's called positive persecution. And within Christianity, it's the idea that because God is on your side, you can do whatever you want to people 
right? Because it's holy. You're doing it on behalf of a better cause, whether it's a crusade or going after gay people or making sure that women don't have autonomy over their bodies. It's an ideology. It's a story that legitimizes in your mind. Like, if you just went out to someone and said, let's destroy democracy, they'd be like, hey, hold on a second. But if you tell them a story, and if the story involves these mythologies that are hardwired in, they might go along with it, which is what we're seeing now. The rise of Christian nationalism is absolutely uh, part of this whole thing. It was there with Nazism. It was there with fascism. It was there with every authoritarian movement on record because it's the story that goes ahead and legitimizes all of this violence, and all of this oppression. Uh, you also talk about paranoia in conjunction with the the the, the Christian uh, dogma. Um, and it's true. They, they've got to have somebody that they can point a finger to and say, look what they're doing right now. I find it in the you know, in the wake of uh, the Dobbs decision of overturning Roe v. Wade, this insistence by these people that we liberals um we have abortions and if if a baby is if we have them up until the moment of birth and after and if and if a baby is born during a botched abortion that it's murdered i mean this is just asinine and I, it does not happen it's not real and yet they will swear by it and say you kill babies yeah and by the way that's the easiest way in the world to push your agenda right because on one hand if we and and abortion is a really perfect example of the problem of liberal democracy liberal democracy is supposed to be the difference between your life and my life and where they intersect we should be able to meet and you know one of the I think a really recent example of this is good is this gas stove bullshit (laughs) right? right so So science has proven that gas stoves uh, contribute to climate change and also childhood asthma. If we all understood that those facts were real, then we could have a conversation. Should we ban gas stoves? Should we move away from gas stoves? What could we do to make a better world? Instead of that discussion, we're seeing the right wing tell people they're going to come and take your gas stoves. They're going to break down your door. They're going to throw you and your family into prison camps. And as a result, We're not talking about that. With abortion, we should be having a conversation about where bodily autonomy starts, where it ends, what we can do, how we can actually deal with these issues. But instead of having a a substantive conversation, they're talking about good versus evil, capital G, capital E. And so as a result, we're told not to trust each other. You and I, when trying to talk to somebody uh, supposedly across the aisle, they think we're trying to get one over on them. We have evil intentions, right? We're not actually having a discussion in reality. And as a result, that breaks down liberal democracy because we have to trust that we're all coming to this conversation in good faith. But again, going back to the idea of Christian nationalism, if you believe that human beings are wicked, and that they cannot be trusted, that there's original sin, and by the way, that anybody could be a a satanic agent? (laughs) Why would you ever work with them? Why would you ever accept an election, right? It absolutely, it's like throwing acid onto the liberal democratic body. And that's what we're actually watching right now, which is one of the reasons why when people tell you, oh, this is about Trump, this will pass, everything will be fine, Republicans are going to wake up from their fever. I hate to tell you, Trump is a symptom. Mm-hmm. He is not the disease. And what we're dealing with right now, history shows us, it only goes in one direction. And there is going to be a clash over this, and we're going to figure it out in the long run, but you have to understand what the actual dangers are here. 
I love that you're saying this. Again, we're speaking with Jared Yates Sexton. His new book is out today. It's The Midnight Kingdom. And, and what you just said there, it's not about Trump. He might have been the symptom. He gave people license to, uh, to wear their inner racist and bigot openly and proudly, I guess. It took us into this new era. But I remember when Barack Obama was in office, not my favorite president, not the worst, but not certainly not what he could have been. Yet they called him the Antichrist. Now, I'm not a religious person. I come from a Jewish background with no religion, more cultural. And Donald Trump, to me, if you want to talk about an Antichrist, that kind of figure, it's him. But the thing that's really frightening and we're seeing more and more now as he's sort of falling from grace is that, well, you said it, it's not a passing phase, it's a movement, it's a dangerous movement, and Trump will fade, Trump will go away, hopefully now, but Ron DeSantis is there, and people are saying, oh, he's a more moderate, more acceptable version of Donald Trump, well, let me tell you, from someone who lives in Florida, who's leaving Florida because of him, mainly, um, no, <laughs> it's more of the same and maybe even worse because he's better educated. Well, and I want to, uh, I'm really glad you brought this up because this is something that I'm seeing more and more of. Um, I'm actually having conversations with so-called liberals, never Trumpers, people who, by the way, were absolutely disgusted by how Donald Trump comported himself. And a large part of the reason that they hated him was because he was a buffoon, right? He was an absolute dumbass. Yeah. He was unprofessional. Yeah. There was no way to hide it, Right. But now I'm starting to hear in liberal circles, never Trumper circles, that they're saying, well, Ron DeSantis isn't that bad. Maybe we've gone a little too far with gay and trans rights and talking about, you know, white supremacy and feminism and all of this. And there are people who are starting to talk themselves into voting for a serious God. person. What has happened within the Republican Party? And, and, and people need to realize this. They did not want Donald Trump. They thought he was great for fundraising, for raising up the energy. And then he took over the 2016 race. Yep. He basically tamed Fox News into his own personal propaganda organ. They are attempting right now to take MAGAism and they're trying to transplant it like taking a plant out of a pot and putting it within the DeSantis pot. And they want this serious person who, by the way, I, and, and anybody who thinks that this isn't happening, Look at the media coverage of DeSantis sending refugees yep. to New York City and Washington, D.C. The media treated that like it was fine. And Martha's they, Vineyard. It was funny. It was what an, what an offbeat story. No. Right. And, and by the way, they keep saying, oh, this is such smart politics. This is such a savvy move. Meanwhile, what's happening in Florida is that DeSantis is making these moves that aren't like splashy. But they're really, really smart and dangerous. And what I keep trying to tell people is that Trump made obvious that these things were possible. And what has happened around Trump is it's a group of billionaires who are putting all of their money behind these institutes, these foundations, these groups that are figuring out the ways to capitalize off of MAGAism, to turn it into a mm -hmm. weapon that they can use to disable uh, the government, to disable liberalism in totality. And I got to tell you, if you find somebody who's actually ideological, Trump is not. No, Trump no. is Trump is instinctually an authoritarian. But if you if you set him down and tried to have him explain what fascism was, he couldn't do it, you know. But these people are smart, they're disciplined, and on top of that, you really cannot discount 
what it means for middle-class white Americans to accept this stuff. And every time you see authoritarian movements, it's whether or not the middle-class white populations will accept it, right? right? And if we have economic problems, if we have climate change problems, if things keep coming apart, that's where those things come into play. And that's the real concern in all of this. It is. And there's another, uh, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. You know, uh, MSNBC is is uh, is probably the place where most liberals, Democrats go to feel like at least they're being heard. Well, MSNBC, an, an interesting trend has happened there in the last few years since Trump in that they've been sort of overtaken by the never Trumpers. I call them the never Trumper channel. And it, it, there's common ground. We all agree Trump is evil. But a lot of these people are conservatives at, at at their core. They don't think like us. They don't believe in the same things we do. And yet they are, because we're all anti-Trump, the, I guess, you know, enemy of my, friend of my enemy is my, however it goes. Um, what happens when a Ron DeSantis or someone else who's less objectionable to some of them comes in? What line are they going to draw? And and what is the difference today between conservatives and liberals? I don't think that the MAGA brigade is conservative. They're something else, aren't they? Yes, they absolutely are. And by the way, I cut my teeth on politics in 2003 opposing the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about being disgusted, watching in the in the, in, in the wake of Trump, watching George W. Bush somehow or another get legitimized, right? This person who led to God knows how many deaths. And on top of that, we start talking about Liz and Dick Cheney as if they're going to be the saviors <laughs> of democracy. This isn't showing that MAGA is something apart from us. It's showing that there is a large tent that extends from the far right all the way over to what we could define as the center left. You know, Mm -hmm. when we talk about leftists in this country, we're not talking about leftism. We're not talking about progressivism. We're talking, uh, you know, about people who might have conversations about power every now and then. And that's about it. The problem is that all of these castaways, you know, the the GOP boat sank and all of these people got on the boat and they said, we have some ideas on how to drive this boat. We have some ideas on how this should work. They are actively taking over the Democratic Party in the center of this country, which means that the center is moving right. And I want to point something out very quickly. In researching this book, what I found was that there was never respectable conservatism. The history of conservatism started with anti-Semitic Freemason conspiracy theories that the American Revolution and the French Revolution were plots to overthrow Christianity. This has been a paranoid movement since the beginning of conservatism. It didn't go wrong with Trump. In fact, Trump only said the quiet parts loud. They didn't like that he, you know, talked all this conspiracy bullshit in public openly. This is the same thing that got Reagan elected, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. It is the exact same tradition that Trump is a part of. It just so happens they don't like the populism of it. They don't like the way that he handles his business. And so they are moving uh, politics in this country towards the right. And and that's frightening. And that's something everyone needs to be aware of. Look, I I think Nicole Wallace does a fine job on her show. But I know that she is a conservative. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not how I think. And so we definitely have ideological differences. Well, today's MAGA movement, they don't know from ideology. Again, 
again because they're they're uneducated. They're playing follow the leader. They're doing whatever they're uh, on high tell them to do. Um, Jared, you said that writing this book was the hardest thing you've ever done. Is it because of this stuff? Why? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I had to completely change the way I looked at the world. You know, um, we, we have preconceived notions about history and they're just stories. They're mythologies that, that hide power. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to start breaking those things open and to understand like how all of this works. It changed the way I looked at the world, but it also changed the way I looked at myself and my family and also the future. You know, this is heavy stuff. I want to be very clear about this. Like I have a little bit of a reputation as a doomsayer. I understand that. I'm very hopeful. I'm actually very optimistic that this thing's going to turn out okay. But the reason is because people are really incredible. People are democratic at heart. They fight for their rights. They fight to make things better. I think the only way that we can make this thing better is to understand what is possible. And it's really bad. And to understand that we have to get that information, we have to go out there, we have to actually fight and advocate for ourselves and start engaging in democratic uh, processes. But um, yeah, it, it, it literally was breaking open everything that I thought I knew and finding something else. Wow. You know, when you talk about people, I, I had an argument with somebody, I don't know, on Twitter, I believe, um, who was saying, well, you know, Lincoln was a was a um, uh, was a Republican and Frederick Douglass was a Republican. And I said, do you not understand that there was, you know, basically during the civil rights era, there was a flip, there was a switch. So are you, you're honestly saying that Lincoln would embrace today's Republican policies? You're out of your fucking mind. Richard Nixon wouldn't. No. I mean, that's the thing. It's like things have shifted, particularly in the past couple of decades. Ronald Reagan would not be welcome in the modern Republican Party. And that's not to give Reagan a pass because he is responsible for a lot of this shit. (laughs) But it has changed. I mean, and and real fast, I want a quick little note on this. Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, who is World War, one of the heroes of World War II, When he became president, a Republican president, a conservative president, the same people, the John Birch Society, which is now mutated into what MAGA is and what modern Republicanism is, they told everybody he was a Russian agent, that he was a traitorous spy. These energies have been here all along, and that realignment shows us everything that we need to understand. This is not the same Republican Party, but it is part of that Republican tradition, and it's gone off the rails, and we need to realize that. Right. Um, Jared Yates Sexton, I could keep to, oh God, I could, we could go for hours. I'm really enjoying this. I know you got to run. Today is publication day of your book, and you, I'm sure you've got a bunch of interviews lined up. Thank you so much. I hope we can uh, continue this at another time because uh, you're saying all the things that people need to hear, and you've got a much wider audience than I do, so I'm glad you're saying them. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And I, I can't wait to talk to you again. This was fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much. That how how great was. Oh, hold on. Got to fix the mic. Ah. OK, see, I, I fixed it. I got it. Um, How awesome was that? Um, Again, we we just were on the same wavelength. you know um and so um i i guess it's kind of the mutual admiration society i could talk to him for hours and at the after we after i turned off the recorder he kind of said the same thing said that really no let's keep in touch and let's let's continue this conversation it was great um made my day made my week yeah so um the book 
you know, I'll tell you something. The, the minute I got the book, I'm like, oh, all right, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. And I knew what it was about. I'm like, can I, can I get through this? And then I look on the back, and the first blurb is from Jeff Charlotte. And you guys know how much I love Jeff Charlotte. And he just, the highest praise. And sure enough, um, Jared, in addition to being smart, and as the women in the chat room were noticing, not bad looking, um, he's a great writer too. So thank you, Winston. I thought, <clears throat> I, I loved it. I mean, the minute I finished, I walked into David and I said, that was a great interview. <laughs> so I'm always excited to share with you when I, when I think it went well. So it did. Um, phone lines are open if you want to weigh in on that. Again, I think the subject matter is so important. And I think it is, um, you know, it, the, I think that many of the Democrats are in denial. The way that the, the January 6th committee left out the part about uh, the social media uh, networks not um, not not stopping the incendiary talk postings um, before not not taking action that they should have taken that maybe would have stopped the the attack on the Capitol. Maybe not, but I don't know. Yes, and, and so many are in denial. Anyway, and then today they are seating people on committees, right? Uh, the, the, and this Congress is shaping up to be really frightening. The... Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was put on the Homeland Security Committee. Do you understand how dangerous that is? I know you do. Does everybody understand how dangerous that is? This is a woman who denies that the election was legitimate. And she's on Homeland Security? I'm just... I'm, I'm astonished. I'm astounded. I'm really nervous. The guy who is chairing the oversight committee. This is this was him. Um, uh, this was him on the 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 classified documents. The first clip you'll hear is him. His name is uh, James Comer. Again, he's the chair of oversight. And his first cl- the first clip is when um after they found the documents at Mar-a-Lago, the classified documents. By the way, Trump had hundreds of them that he would not cooperate with the feds to give them back. He was trying to hide them. He was lying. He said, they're mine. They're mine. Uh, This was James Comer on that. I don't know much about that. That's not something that uh, we've requested information just to see what was going on because I don't know what documents were at. Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago. So, you know, that's something we're just waiting to see what comes out on that. But is it fair to say that investigation won't be a priority? That will not be a priority. Okay, so that was (laughs) that was then. Then uh, this was just the other day with Jake Tapper. So what are you saying to viewers who don't understand why President Biden's documents seem like a big priority for you? But President Trump, who took hundreds more documents, did not comply with the subpoena, did not reach out to the National Archives or the Justice Department to say, hey, we found these documents. It's not a priority. Do you only care about classified documents being mishandled when Democrats do the mishandling? Uh, Good question. 
Absolutely not. Uh, Look, we still don't know what not. type of documents President Trump had. That's one of the questions we've asked National Archives. Just because Joe Biden's lawyer said they turned over five documents doesn't mean they just turned oh, over five please. documents. They could have turned over 500 documents. Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't have a lot of confidence in <laughs> President Biden's personal lawyers. We don't know exactly what uh, Trump has versus what Biden has. At the end of the day, my biggest concern isn't the classified documents, to be honest with you. My concern is how there's such a discrepancy in how former President Trump was treated by raiding really? Mar-a-Lago, by getting really? the security cameras, by taking pictures of documents on the on the floor, by going through <laughs> Melania's closet. Everything you thought you knew, you never knew at all. Sideways Hi. is straight ahead. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Opposite World. That's what I mean when I talk about opposite world. All right, time for a, 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 a very, very quick tune. And don't blink, because you'll miss it. Take it away, mangy fatlocks. Putin really bombed the hell out of Ukraine again today. Trump admires Putin greatly, and that's all I've got to say. That's it. I told you, short and sweet and to the point. Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, there's other stuff that I need to share with you. Like, let me let me find I pulled a bunch of um, a a bunch of clips. Let me see what else I pulled, because at this point, I don't even remember. Okay. Um, Oh, no. Today is what? Today is the 17th. Oh, so Davos is happening. You know, uh, the the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, right? Um, it ha- They haven't had it for the last few years because of COVID, but it's back today. And there's a, um, a big panel today happening over there. And I'm going to play this one clip and you'll see sitting uh, uh, next to each other. There's a few, a few um, American senators on this panel. I think I see Chris Coons. Um, and I, I can't tell who else except these two. Uh, yeah, brace yourselves. It's, um, Joe Biden, not Joe Biden, Joe Manchin. And eh, I'm sorry, Kirsten's cinema, Miss Cinema. Since last time we met, you, you become an independent. That's correct. Happened that same day or the day after, didn't it? So, as folks know, I have declared, Ugh. formally declared my independence from what I consider to be a deeply broken two-party system. What is she system. wearing? Those who know me know that I was always an independent voice and always have been for the things that I believe in and for my state and for my country. Blah, blah, but blah, blah, I, I do think it's important to note that, the, that what you've heard about partisanship, I believe, is accurate. You know, in the, in the last two years, if we, if we think, you know, January 6th, which is a horrible day um, from two years ago, um, created, I, I think, concern and fear for every patriotic American across the country. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a bit distracted because, first of all, the vest she's wearing, I think she sheared a sheep out on the mountain and put it on. Or as Colonel um, uh, Morris Davis said to me, uh, responded to me on Twitter when I said, what the fuck is she wearing? He said, it looks like the rug that goes around the bottom of the toilet to keep your feet warm and someone at the hotel should check because she probably stole it. And then when they pulled out, I saw the boots. Oh my God. 
But in the resulting two years, the Democratic Party um, shared a narrative that said we would not have any more free and fair elections in this country if the United States okay. Congress didn't you know eliminate what? the filibuster. I'm not going to play. Sorry. You get, an, you get the idea of what she said here. This was actually the clip I was going to play for you. You're ready for this one? It goes by really fast. So, and you have to watch it. For, for those of you who are listening, like on Progressive Voices or listening to the uh, audio podcast, I will explain what they did at the end of it. But you'll hear, you'll hear, um, uh, you will hear. for the oops. American people in the last two Here. years. And we Here still we go. don't agree on getting rid of the filibuster. That's correct. Right. Thank you. I, I was, I was, Joe, that was Joe Manchin. Manchin says, we still don't agree on getting rid of the filibuster, right? And Cinema says, correct. And then there it is. They high five each other on the stage of the World Economic Forum in Davos. And you could see her lovely outfit in all her glory. I'm just sickened by this. Um, so let's get it off the screen. Get it off the screen. There we go. Uh, she, it, <laughs> Terrence says, uh, she is onion material. Good grief. She's, she's worse than that. She just is horrible. Really horrible. Um, um, oh, and then, you know, I was glad that um, I could commiserate with Jared, Jared Yates Sexton on the horrible governor of the state of Florida. The things he was saying, I, I was shocked. I know that there are some of those never Trumpers who are saying, oh, well, DeSantis, I guess he's a, he's a more agreeable uh, replacement for, um, uh, you know, for Trump. No, he's not. So you already know that he, he found this guy, Dr. Joseph Latipo, and, and made him Surgeon General of the state of Florida. Latipo doesn't believe in COVID vaccines, doesn't believe in masks. He is a witch doctor. He was one of the people from the, the demon seed, demon sperm lady. He was standing behind her. He was, he was pushing ivermectin and, and what, whatever the other one was. I mean, he's a nut job. And that's the Surgeon General of Florida? And this, even more embarrassingly, more sickeningly, is the governor. I don't know where he was, but this was today. Today, he said this. Joe Latipo can talk a little bit more about it. Like almost every study now has said with these new boosters, you're more likely to get infected with the bivalent Bullshit. booster. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's so, so not what true. Possible what reason could you force that? And we're one of only a few countries in the entire world that what? imposes that. I don't even think China imposes that anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. The man is a fucking moron. Now, he may be smarter than better educated than Trump, but he is still a fucking moron. And saying that you're you're more prone to getting infected with covid if you get vaccinated. Not only is it bullshit, not only is it bullshit, but it's dangerous. Meanwhile, I got to tell you what happened. So there's uh, David found an article. It was an article in the in the Miami Herald. And it said this new variant, this I, I forget what it's called. It's letters and numbers. This new variant is um, is really it might be the most transmissible yet. 
and there are, um, uh, you know, the vaccine, it, it says people aged five and up, if you haven't been if you haven't been boosted in the last two months, go get a booster. You can get a booster. So I went in to my um, uh, pharmacy, which is now where you get vaccinations, Walgreens, because that's the only place I can go to on my lovely insurance plan. And they wouldn't give it to me. They said, you already had the bivalent, I think it's how you pronounce it, the bivalent um, uh, uh, booster. You can't have it again. David just got it again. He, he was vaccinated when it first came out or boosted with it when it first came out. And he got it, X, XBB. Thank you, Dar. Um, and, and they would not give it to me. I, and I forgot to call my doctor's office again today. I'm calling my doctor's office to say, can you write a prescription? Because then they'll have to give it to me. I mean, I have to fight with my damn pharmacy to give me the damn shot? They can't get people to take them. I want to take it. It's, it, it's opposite world. And that's what opposite world is. Ay, ay, ay. So here we are. It's just opposite world. All right, I'm going to play one more clip. This is also opposite world. Because um, I, 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 and I can't believe I'm going to say this. Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd actually did a good job in an interview, if you can call it that, with Ron Johnson. Ugh, Ron Johnson, what a pathetic creature he is. So this was on, uh, and why was Ron Johnson in Fort Myers, Florida? Get out of my state. Uh, soon not to be my state, but anyway. Um, this, is just a, this is just a minute and a half long clip from a lengthy interview they did that was infuriating to watch. But this part... Um, I, I don't say it often, but good on Chuck Todd. Seriously. I, I have skepticism of both parties. I sit here with skepticism of a lot of people's work. And I'm curious, sure, are you, were you at all concerned? Uh, this, your Senate Democrats want to investigate Jared Kushner's uh, loan from the Qatari government when he was working in the government negotiating uh, many things in the Middle East. Yeah. Are you not as concerned about, are you not concerned about that? And I say that because... It seems to me if you're concerned about what Hunter Biden did, you should be equally outraged about what Jared Kushner did. You think? I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about getting the truth. I don't target individuals. <laughs> target individuals. I, you I, don't? You're targeting Hunter Biden? My, he my, doesn't my target individuals. Center, you're targeting an Chuck, individual. Chuck, my, my concern, you know, Chuck. You know, Chuck. Part of the problem, and, and this is pretty obvious to anybody watching this, is you don't invite me on to interview me. You invite me on to oh, argue please. with me. Can I you just know, say, just he, doesn't, the facts. he doesn't have an answer. So he goes on the attack. You don't invite me on to interview me. You invite me on to attack me. And then he used that line on Fox when he went to complain. Chuck Todd was mean to me. That certainly Senator Grassley and I uncovered. They were suppressed. They were censored. They interfered in the 2020 election. Conservatives understand that. Unfortunately, liberals in the media don't. And that's part of the things yeah. that uh, part, of, part of the reasons our politics are inflamed is we do not have an unbiased uh, media. We don't. It's unfortunate. I'm all for a free press. Well, it needs Senator, to be more unbiased. Senator, There's look, misinformation is, look, on both partisan, sides, but the Senator, censorship and Senator, suppression look, we're trying to primarily do issues here. From the left. <laughs> partisan cable. Look, you can go back on your partisan cable 
cocoon and talk about media bias all you want. I understand it's part of your identity. Oh, please. Let me move to what happened in Brazil. Yeah, let me move to what happened in Brazil, and and we're not we're not going to go there. Um, yeah. Uh, one last thing. So I got to go. Uh, so Bill, was it Bill? Who is it in the chat room? Uh, Bob in the chat room. Bob says, Nicole, Nicole Wallace is a conservative? Nicole Wallace. And again, I, I think she does a good job. I just think her ideology is, is totally divergent from mine. But she still does a decent job. And she's outraged by the Trumpers. But she is a conservative. She was communications director in the George W. Bush administration. And then, along with Steve Schmidt, she ran the McCain campaign. Yeah, John McCain. Nicole Wallace was a Republican. She says she isn't anymore. But she's certainly not a progressive. I mean, again, I actually like her. And I do watch her show when, you know, when when time permits when I'm around and, you know, not, I'm usually in show prep at that time, so I don't, but she's not bad compared to, you know, it's all, it's all relative. You look at who's on TV uh, reading the news and she's actually one of the better ones, but make no mistake, she is conservative. She is not a progressive and she's not, a, I don't know if she's a Democrat now or not, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but yeah, that's where she comes from. And if you look at the guests they have on from Carlos Cribello and David Jolly these former congressmen both former Florida Republican congressmen there are many former Democratic Congress people from Florida none of them are paid contributors on MSNBC have you noticed that just saying you know that's what MSNBC has become the never Trumper channel and I, you just need to be aware. Got it? Cool. All right. Now, with that, we're done. That's the, uh, the end of the program for today. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's Wednesday. You know that uh, I am leaving Florida. Uh, we're we're going to be moving, I believe, in April. In April. Um, but, you know, there's a lot going on here. And I still... I would like to see this state get back to where it was, really. Um, so tomorrow, and actually on Sunday night, I was part of a, um, uh, uh, a, a Zoom call with the, the Democratic Progressive Caucus of Florida. And not just them. There are progressives, progressive activists, many like me, who, who left the party uh, you know, the DEC, uh, the Democratic Executive Committee, the, the, the county, the, the, the Broward Democrats, because the progressives were so not only disrespected, but dissed. The, Manny Diaz, who was the Florida Democratic Party chairman, instead of doing his job and trying to win over voters and to push back against the Republicans, he actually wrote an op-ed for the Miami Herald to slam the Democratic Progressive Caucus of Florida because he didn't like the way the progressives were trying to have a say in the party's politics. And the Democrats in Florida suffered the biggest loss, I think, in the state's history. So tomorrow, I'm going to be joined by Carolina Ampudia. She is, uh, she was 
the chair of the Progressive Caucus of Florida. Um, I, don't, I don't think she still is, but she led this call the other night. And I thought it would be good to have her on so you guys get the idea of where things stand politically in Florida. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you know, she of the Dirty Debbie, actually uh, went on TV today, I guess, or was quoted as saying, oh, Florida's still in play. Florida's not a red state. It's a purple state. You know what I say to that, right? Bullshit. Bullshit. We, the Democrats couldn't get arrested in November. Um, races that they easily should have won, they didn't. And, and they were just rolled over. Democrats used to outnumber Republicans in terms of registered voters in the state. The Republicans not just like sped past. It was like the Democrats were standing still and the Republicans were on speed. It was a roadrunner. Um, beep, beep. Uh, it's embarrassing what happened. And so this call that I was on Sunday night was what is the role for progressives in the new Florida Democratic Party? So Carolina will join us tomorrow, give you a little bit more insight into what is happening in this state and honestly why I'm leaving. Well, a big reason why I'm leaving. All right. With that, we are done. Uh, You can stick a fork in it. Um, And uh, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hold on. You know what? I just realized I need to bring up news over here because something is being funky today. All right. With that, we're done. I'll leave you with the news. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Jared Yates Sexton. What a nice, pleasant surprise that was. I thought I knew he'd be good, but, you know, I got a new friend. All right. Uh, I'm going to shut up now. Hasta mañana, amigos. And I'll leave you again with the news. I think. Come on. Really? Come on, man. I'm going to do my Joe Biden now. Come on, man. It just doesn't want to play. There it is. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. A new report from the Washington Post says that the January 6th committee left some key findings out of its final report about how social media platforms failed to address extremism ahead of the attack on the Capitol. The findings were included in a 122-page memo that circulated among the committee, this according to a draft viewed by the Post. They say that the social media platforms ignored employees' warnings about violent content and bent rules for some conservatives, especially at Twitter. Hmm, that's not what their Twitter files have been telling us. But those findings were not included in the final report because, sources said, committee leaders were worried about offending Republicans and starting a fight with those powerful tech companies. In what I believe is a related story, a plot to attack elected Democratic officials in New Mexico. Seriously. Albuquerque police on Monday arrested a man named Solomon Pena. He's accused of being the mastermind behind shootings at the homes of four elected Democrats in December and January. Pena was the Republican nominee for a New Mexico state House seat in November. He lost his race, though he's following the Trump playbook and claiming on social media that the election was stolen from him. 
Pena showed up unannounced at three of those elected officials' homes in November, saying the election results shouldn't be certified. He was also at the Capitol on January 6th. Now, Pena is accused of hiring four men and conspiring to have them shoot at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. Why am I not surprised? And yes, there was another mass shooting, this one at a Martin Luther King Jr. Day event in Fort Pierce, Florida. Thankfully, none of the eight victims were killed, though one remains hospitalized in critical condition. Hey, is that the sun peeking through the California storm clouds? Forecasters say the clear skies are coming. The latest so-called atmospheric river tapered off Monday night. But before their smooth sailing, one more storm system, a weak one, they say, will hit the state Wednesday and Thursday. According to the California Geological Survey, California has seen more than 400 landslides as a result of this series of storms that have hit since December 30th. At least 19 people have died as the storm destroyed homes and inundated entire neighborhoods. Flood watches that covered millions in coastal California have finally expired, though cleanup will continue over the next several weeks. The storm system is now advancing further inland and is expected to bring heavy snowfall into the Four Corners region. Parts of Colorado are expecting up to two feet of snow tonight, while rain is forecast for much of the southwest. By the middle of the week, the threat will be in the south. An area from East Texas to Lower Mississippi Valley has the potential for strong storms. Stay safe out there. So, embattled freshman Republican Representative George Santos of New York has acknowledged making up much of his resume. But now we learn that, quote, he has deeper ties than previously known to the cousin of sanctioned Russian billionaire Victor Vexelberg. The Washington Post is citing video footage and court documents saying that Andrew Intrader, a cousin of Vexelberg, and his wife gave $5,800, that's the maximum allowed, to Santos's main campaign committee. They also donated even more to committees linked to Santos since 2020. An SEC filing in a lawsuit against Florida-based investment firm Harbor City Capital, where Santos once worked, shows that Intrader put hundreds of thousands of dollars into the firm. China, which had a one-child policy for many years to battle overpopulation, now has the other problem. China's population fell last year for the first time in 60 years. And they're saying this is a trend that will likely start a long period of decline in population, and it could bring profound implications for its economy and the world. That's an interesting twist. So are you still tweeting? Even though there's been an exodus from Twitter since Elon Musk bought the platform, many of us are still there, inexplicably so. And now we learn that a lawsuit has been filed against the company over a data breach. Just days after an Internet hacker site posted information allegedly gleaned from more than 200 million accounts. Lovely. The lawsuit was brought by a New York state resident seeking class action status for all whose information may have been hacked and asked the court for unspecified monetary damages, as well as an order requiring Twitter to hire third party security auditors. Yes, please. Oh, and Elon Musk and Tesla are set to go on trial in San Francisco 
today in a case where the company's shareholders claim they were defrauded by Elon Musk's 2018 statement when he said that funding was secured to take the electric car maker private. Hmm. But wait, there's more. In a new cover story for New York Magazine, the reporters take a deep dive into Musk's first three months at Twitter. They spoke to more than two dozen current and former Twitter staffers to find out exactly what life is like at Twitter under the Elon Musk regime. They write, quote, in three months, Musk has largely destroyed the equity value of Twitter and much of his personal wealth. He has indicated that the company could declare bankruptcy and the distinction of running it has caused Tesla stock to crater, costing him, ready for this, $200 billion. They also wrote, quote, if free speech was his mandate for Twitter, the platform, it's been the opposite for Twitter, the workplace. Dissenting opinion or criticism has led to swift dismissals. Musk replaced Twitter's old culture with one of his own, but it's unclear with so few workers and plummeting revenues, if this new version will survive. As one employee said in December, place is done for. Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe. The White House is pushing back on the Republican outrage over the discovery of some classified documents at the president's residence and former office, calling the indignation from Republican lawmakers shamelessly hypocritical. The Republican-led House Oversight Committee is investigating the president over the documents, but shamelessly, hypocritically, they have no plans to investigate Donald Trump's hundreds of government files. Of course not. Because that's the way they roll. Two years of this. All righty then. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener supported and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com and please click on one of those donate buttons.